Welcome to Sleepy Time Travels. This week, we look over the alchemist's shoulder, peer at the astrologer's charts, and peruse a discussion of the nature of time, written a century before Stephen Hawking's musings, from the public domain treatise Key Truths of Occult Philosophy. We'll hear the chapter The Perspective of Life in Time. This book describes occult philosophy as the ultimate unification, a sort of Rosetta Stone for science, religion, philosophy, metaphysics, and magic. If anything can mute for a bit the babble and cackle of your day's mundane sideshow, this listen can. My name is Russell Stamets. I read old books. Some people like to fall asleep while I do. The public domain books I choose to narrate and produce range from folk tales to metaphysics, or even the confession of a famous outlaw. If you'd like to hear more of those I showcase on the podcast, or check out the rest of my catalog, search me on Audible or iTunes. I'll include links to the audiobooks and the Kindle and print editions in the episode description. If you like what I'm doing, besides buying the books, you can help me out by rating the podcast, or following, or whatever your platform allows. That's enough of that. Now, it's time. Lean back, relax, and listen. The Perspective of Life in Time Time is Illusion The first key truth is important because it is directive. A student of occult philosophy must grow to understand, before all else, that everything in life is relative. Even truth itself is a matter of perspective and becomes pseudo-truth, or perhaps broad error, when the point of view is from a bias. Truth itself is too abstract and subjective to be stated in any form of words without some necessity of qualification, and indeed two and two make four only as a matter of mathematical addition of comparable ideas or objects. The purpose of this initial key truth is that the mind of a voyager into the realm of the occult may be freed from an inhibition staggering to any true understanding of superphysical phenomena. Time to the human race is somehow fixed as the perfect symbol of exactness. This sense of accuracy of duration is so ingrained that a grasp of cycles or the cooperation of time measures is supposed in occult tradition to be the one inner instruction reserved for the highest of adepts and masters, and so forever withheld from open teaching. But modern science, in a splendid intuition born of unselfish, never-tiring study and investigation, has clutched at truth and caught a fragment in the familiar aphorism that time is dimension. The occultist learns that time has no being of its own, but is merely an indicating, qualifying, and measuring condition. Sentient reality cradled in duration is illusion from the perspective of higher realm and deeper being. Time in the objective sphere of length, breadth, and thickness is a fourth-dimensional limitation, 
while in that fluidic realm of four dimensions, next superior to this, the quality of duration becomes a fifth dimension. In the conception of occult philosophy, all clairvoyant reading is tinctured necessarily with the personality of the medium, and such investigation is worthless unless checked against other sources. Occult tradition is the teaching taken from the secret records of the great brotherhoods. These records are not archives at inaccessible monasteries, although many ancient manuscripts are so preserved. But the life of skin or prepared leaf is short against a perspective of many hundred thousands of years, so that all physically preserved writings must be transcribed from time to time. Neither are these taken from the akasa, or memory, of nature. The secret records of the brotherhoods, rather, are that tradition which establishes itself in a uniformity of truth through slender deviation in a mean of facts turning up constantly in the recreated divine philosophy given forth by inspired teachers in regular succession and order. In this manner, basic truth automatically adjusts its expression to the evolution both of man and cosmos. These records fundamentally are secret because they only first reveal themselves through higher signatures, which are necessarily the possession of initiates. A fact curiously noticeable in clairvoyance is that the reading of the past and future of a person and thing at hand, or a transcendent abstract time, is the dimension of separation between any two immediately inferior and superior realms of consciousness. The lesser sphere always becomes illusionary or ephemeral to the greater being. Time is the expression of the veil between dimensions. Any effort to exalt the consciousness above the limitation of material being demands operative concepts, of which the first is based upon the reversal of normal processes in point of view from realm into realm. This requires a new perspective from the little sphere of present life out into the larger domain that embraces all being. Since objective existence is allusion to the enclosing broader reality, then in the light of necessary perspective, a sense of this present or immediate impermanence of being must be gained as a foundation of greater perception. Most frequently the seeker strays at this point from the straight path of logic or from the way of mental and scientific attainment. Occult knowledge hardly requires that material reality be denied, or that a race plunge itself into ineptitude and decay, as that philosophic East which is content with an unsanitary and far from lovely imitation of nirvana on earth. The sense of illusion in the consciousness needs but one practical application, and that essence of time is simple and common in comparison with the viewing of contemporary events and scenes in that conquest of space which superficially would seem easier. Because of the inherent superorganic nature of occult teaching, it must be built entirely upon these operative concepts or symbols, which are not form pictures, but are types or patterns of mental processes. Philosophically, the first key truth becomes the statement that time is illusion. The consciousness of time illusion is easily gained. The Uncertain Nature of Time 
Few things as scientifically inexact as the modern duration measures are yet assumed by the layman to be as reliable and perhaps as wholly perfect. From the rather unsuccessful synchronization of the clocks in a city by telegraph to the unsatisfactory calendar, all time records are baffling in their inherent confusion. The moon, despite Newcomb's labors, cannot be forecast with decent accuracy. The sun, which is more consistently erratic by comparison, is off schedule on all but four days in the year, and at times by as much as 15 minutes. The Gregorian calendar, in order to maintain the equinox in its proper place and to rectify the error of the Julian reckoning, omits the intercalary day in every hundred years as 18 or 1900, but yet reestablishes the leap year if the hundred is divisible by 400, as in the case of 16 or 2000. And even this elaborate procedure is not exactly accurate, so much for mathematical measure. Time and duration in actual life are never truly synonymous. It may and may not be equivalent to say that an aphasia victim has lived a shorter time than his fellows by the days or months of his aberration, or to claim that in years Rip Van Winkle was considerably older than in existence. If the philosopher would demonstrate the correctness of such a contention, he must turn to point of view and to definition and must gain an understanding of perspective. Both this and the more conventional understanding can be truth. No speciousness prevails in the fact that if twins voyage around the world in opposite directions, one will be two days older than the other upon their return to a starting place. When they reach the Pacific Ocean and the international date line, one goes back a day and lives it over, while the other is forced to bridge a day that has never lived. This is true although the one traveling west passes an hour twice at each 15 degrees of longitude and loses the day at the meridian of adjustment to compensate for the whole 24, while the eastward voyager gains the day at the date line to adjust an hour lost for each 15 degrees traveled. In other words, the watches carried by each if maintained in the time of the starting place would at the conclusion of the two trips agree, even if they showed days and months as well as minutes and hours. From the perspective of that time measure which indicates our periods of a mean sun transit brought about by the Earth's constant revolution, the twins have remained the same age. But the one who travels west has circled the Earth with the sun and escaped a transit, while in the case of the other the sun actually rises, culminates, and sets on two complete days which the former never lives. The telegraph and wireless demonstrate curious conflicts of time measure, while daylight saving ordinances contribute or subtract an extra hour here and there. The photograph and phonograph destroy duration by partial reproduction of scene or voice. The cinema newsreel adds motion to the photograph, while the enacted moving picture may truly conjure up anew and reproduce in visual actuality some forgotten epic or historical event. These are mechanical and scientific devices more wonderful and miraculous than any simple supersensual development of bodily faculty. Yet it is in consciousness or the expression of sentient being that the illusionary nature of time may best be demonstrated, 
since through the extension of sense faculty, physical duration is transcended and the illusion of eternal substance first conquered. Deep philosophy lies in the story of the illiterate peasant who in constant complaint of his lot drew the devil to him. If you'll agree to give me your soul at the end of a year, said the tempter, I'll grant you within that time everything you wish, provided only you ask for nothing to destroy our bargain. The peasant agreed with alacrity. He specified great wealth, rare wines, beautiful women, and all the exotic things of sense. He did not neglect necessary improvements in his own person, appearances, and graces. Satan, as seems to be customary with nether majesty, promptly fulfilled his part of the agreement. Then one day he appeared to his victim and tapped him on the shoulder to tell him his time had come. The transformed peasant was most indignant. He sputtered and explained that only seven months had passed. The devil smiled. You have lived your year in seven months, he answered. Duration or length of time depends upon consciousness. Even to the physical eye, that part of a watched five minutes in which the large hand passes over the hour mark on the clock dial is considerably longer than a mathematically equal period before or following. Partly optical illusion, this yet illustrates a very important law of the Codex Occultus and provides a simple demonstration of the illusionary nature or duration to the senses. The personal interest factor in time has enriched the idiom of all language. A day is long or short, not by its season, but by what occurs within its duration. An hour drags, or a month speeds by. To comprehend deity, man says that a year is a day in divine sight. A strong impression persists in its yesterday, while a hope deferred stretches an eon ahead. In occult philosophy, the very inexactness of duration measures in mathematical relationship and, in terms of consciousness, becomes the clue to many grades of understanding. All this is based most simply upon the key truth that time is illusion. The significance is not that time has no existence, but that cycles or duration measures are the indicators and guides to understanding of all sense perception which from the perspective of an enlarged consciousness is illusion, and so relatively impermanent and transitory. Life Perspectives in Time An understanding of life through the philosophical point of view more readily adapts itself to periods of time than to divisions of space or to analysis of substance. The units of duration are part of almost every conscious human thought. From that eternity of heaven or hell, which is the cudgel held by the church over the masses, to the never unspoken, what shall we do tonight, man pigeonholes his philosophies and appetites according to the exigencies of the calendar or the clock. When faced with death, his only wish is time, the commonest human phenomenon or sleep, but creates a duration unit. The sternest life necessity or food establishes a cycle of meals. Denial of a wish or satiation of a desire in strengthening the one or killing the other reveals a simple element of human psychology wholly dependent upon the factor of duration. These essentials, apart from all considerations of occult philosophy, would establish the initial key truth as the first. 
occult philosophy recognizes eight important time units. Of these, the second, minute, and hour are too fine in their coordinate, supersensual application, and too attenuated in ordinary human experience to be of particular interest here, other than as mathematical subdivisions of larger measures. But in company with the other five, they have occult power and individual characteristics particular to be noted in astrology. In general, the occultist learns that each or any one of all eight of these time units possesses a life and activity distinctive of its own. Christmas or Easter is a day while other 24-hour periods are lesser dignities. The Holy Week is a living, throbbing, vital, and powerful succession of sacred moments, which only can be called a week. So is the month more than a mathematical calendar of division. A difference exists in years as between the 1914 and 1918 of recent experience. The life epoch, eon, or eternity, provides the always varying boundary of inclusion for a totality of human time cognition in any particular field. In occult philosophy, the basic unit of all time measure is the day, because that period of waking hours is the ordinary normal cycle of continuous human consciousness. A day lies between two transits of the sun over the nadir, or refers occultly and ordinarily to any fundamental cycle of consciousness in activity. Der Tag meant not the opening of war, but the expected achievement, and so the period of fighting involved. Every man may have his day, and thus history speaks of the day of Washington, or of Caesar. In the Bible, an era of creation is the same simple unit. In modern practice, it is the sum of working hours for which man is paid, and also the work accomplished, or the distance traveled in a waking period. A day of Brahma is the whole duration of the present universe, from the first activity to the eventual rest, or Amanvantara. Every duration unit possesses character. Time is no less real than substance, since all matter in the sense of ultimate reality is illusion. Illusion is a technical word that is in no wise synonymous with delusion. Many who seek to understand the occult hypothesis of life lead themselves astray at the outset because they attempt to see in matter and objective form nothing but a miasma of nightmare. The created world is a thin shadow of invisible power, but it remains nevertheless the only reality for one whose higher consciousness lies undeveloped. Only through the familiar crystallized sphere of being can the ego of man mount in understanding. Time is illusion because duration supports and contains substance. All is illusion because substance and time are actually interchangeable. Frequently in America, until its civilization grew out of balance, a dollar and a day stood one for the other. Any unit of time has form as well as character. Although this is abstract, it is no less actual than the concrete form of matter. A day is formed by the routine which gives it individuality. Sleep at its beginning and at its end between these, the succession of meals and little panderings to minor appetites all mark the skeleton. The greatest of sensual experience in a mating of polarities 
is placed normally at this little cycle's climax. These three first natural desires of man are sought by him to complete this basic duration period of being. In direct proportion to the degrees of interest or created illusion in passing events, the day is shortened to the consciousness while its form becomes full. Scientifically, the day is of fixed length, but in philosophy it is an important cross-section of consciousness, as actual as material substance, and so is as varied as is life itself. Similarly, the week gains form through the difference in days. It contains a Sabbath, sometimes a holiday or more, and usually a paycheck, and at least one night of some sort of dissipation. The month embraces its weeks and calendar events, its financial recurrences, and its moving menstrual cycle. The year is made up of months grouped in seasons with lease periods and income taxes, and with summer vacation and winter clothes. The life is first marked by experience from infancy through adolescence and youth. Age is halted or advanced by romance or study and by journeying in imagination or in actuality. These are perspectives of life in time. The interchangeability of time measures. In yielding potency to a unit of duration per se, the occultist first steps thigh-deep into the depths of his all-embracing philosophy. Here the progress of the investigator begins with an understanding of that fundamental philosophic conception known as the golden truth of occultism, and found in the statement that all things are related to all other things in activity, substance, and form. No part of creation stands alone in the universe, yet everything in its own sphere is individual and independent. Only as a matter of faith can the human brain first realize that no really discordant notes are found in the harmony of God's creation. Around man is all the outrageous injustice and grim hard necessity of existence. No conscientious citizen of the world can close his eyes and heart to this intellectual denial. Self-centered seekers who dwell in Empyrean nothingness do real injury to occultism and to its true beauty of concept. Occult philosophy is pantheistic in its science, but monotheistic in its faith and it therefore robs neither man nor God of deity. God is the convenient, generic term for any activity or purpose divine to human consciousness. As an untrained auditor attends an opera such as Tristan and Isolde, and hears only discord, so man sees in life nothing but woe until his senses and mental faculties are directed to the correlation of causes and effects and to the bringing of less interwoven events by that consciousness of a greater relationship lying behind. The difference between one great teacher and his disciples was that Christ alone saw the glistening ivory of beautiful teeth, and in the spell of that glint, caught by other senses, none of the stench from a dog's carcass upon the road. A narrative preserved in the records of an Eastern mystic order and found also in the stories of other world teachers The adept will detect deep thought through every ordeal of life and divine purpose achieved, and so will know the full harmony of evolution. The occultist understands that knowledge primarily results from the coordination of relationships. 
This, fundamentally, is the science of astrology, which, in the present era, is perverted to a delineation of horoscopes and prediction of events and astrological fortune-telling. Yet through nativities and astrological fortune-telling is a useful purpose served because of the drill provided in interchangeability of time units. A day stands for a year, as do four minutes or a month. This and the lesser interchange of irregular cycles may be demonstrated by any careful worker without previous knowledge in a relatively short tussle with any of the more competent astrological textbooks. All nature demonstrates the unity of related time periods when they are taken without consideration of the astronomical divisions which give clock measure. This is through alternation in perspectives of the life in time and is first achieved by use of domain or the field of observation in point of view. Parturition with its contributory phenomenon, while wholly regular in itself, yet varies widely with species and in man with individuals. Biology shows the regularity of type in life cycles, where each will pattern the other but with so great a variation in calendar duration as between the insects which are born and die in one day and reptilia known to live for centuries. Sleep is associated with recurrence of night, but also with the winter slumber of animals that hibernate. Life itself generally is seasonal and develops in cooperation with the year or its subdivisions, yet wholly odd visitations of species are known, such as the, such as the periodical cicada. Botany displays trees like the eucalyptus, which grow with amazing strength and rapidity, or the sequoias, which in some species are so slow-growing and so powerfully resistant to the acts of man and to cataclysm. In physiology, the systole and the diastole cycle is the sustenance of objective existence and is subject to every disturbance without loss of its power to revert to regularity. It is a time unit and a phase of life which has character and form for all that physical science cannot understand nor explain it. Sleeping and waking are common phenomena and are the systole and diastole of a larger cycle, which, with aphasia or under hypnotism, may also show startling but transient irregularity. These units of duration are therefore only to be understood by change in point of view. The shift in field of perspective or place of understanding involves domain, which is the sphere of particular being. Natural law shows that all activity, substance, and form is normal and regular within the domain of a proper focus of consciousness. Apparent irregularity is the result of concurrent activity, substance, and form in some other domain, and is to be found normal with a sufficient widening of understanding. The second and other type of alternation in perspectives of life in time is by use of cycle in analysis of phenomena repetition. As all activity, substance, or form is normal in its proper domain, so must every measurable or cognizable expression of being be normal and orderly in the routine of its consciousness through this activity, substance, and form. In nature is found an interrelationship of duration expression in which smaller cycles are always contained in larger and in which the coordinate processes of recapitulation or combination and attenuation or division, permit all change, whether in growth or decay, 
This is a fundamental understanding on which the whole of the ancient mysteries was built, and is a conception which was carefully withheld from public teaching until its discovery by scholars as a fact of chemistry. The primer instruction in cycles is given to occult students through astrology. The earth possesses three motions in its axial rotation, its orbital revolution, and the shifting obliquity of the equatorial plane in reference to the ecliptic. The first produces days, the second years, and the third epochs of creation. Principally embodied in the chemical laws is discovered as conversion of mass, Lavoisier, multiple proportions, Dalton, and the periodic system. Newlands, Meyer, and Mendeleev. The elements, or the basic constituents of substance, are indestructible. Balance, as the quantitative check in chemical analysis, becomes, in occultism, that factor of domain whereby change in any smaller cycle is permitted by the relative fixity of the larger. Occult analysis of activity is duplicated by the chemist through the second chemical law cited. The same two substances may combine in various proportions, but a simple ratio which always exists between the different and progressive possible results reveals here the mathematical basis of all cycles as taught in occult philosophy. The chemical law of structure, now evolved into the periodic system, was the materialist's new discovery of the basic occult principle underlying form. This investigation of chemistry demonstrated that identity in properties necessitates identity in structure. Obviously, the conclusions drawn by material scholars themselves may vary widely from the occultists' interpretation of their work. To these duration units, nature adapts herself. The directional or predictive astrology of nativities is based upon the interchange of various time divisions due to the corresponding earth motions. The nativity or horoscope itself is built upon the deeper truth in the relationship, not of interchangeable units of equality in different domains, by which the four minutes of rotation and the day of revolution measure, in each case, to the year of individual life, but in the relationship of some division or duration phase of a larger cycle to the whole of a smaller contributory period. The human embryo is initially a cell and is then a living structure of increasing complexity that grows through a succession of exact correspondences to all basic forms of sentient life in the order of general evolution, so as to climax itself in its human state, where at first it is only a general type of the whole race, but where it may develop into individuality by equally interesting stages of correspondence through the succession of changes in consciousness which mark human evolution. The occult hypothesis of the third motion and the whole theory of succession in epochs and geological changes differ radically from the views of material science, as will grow increasingly evident to the reader unfamiliar with superorganic tradition and teaching. Since the hypotheses of metaphysical philosophy serve only as operative concepts, the external and contributory demonstration of any one of them would be to no purpose in the present treatise. The abstruse paragraph preceding in the text is an important summarizing and foundation concept which gains clarity through its employment. Yet, if it were copiously footnoted and amplified, it would confuse and interrupt the careful building of a larger conception containing it. 
the demonstration of the dolphin-like dive of consciousness in and out of manifest expression, and the particular consideration of recapitulation and attenuation, follow at proper points in the text and are of no detailed significance here. Here is a definite set procedure to be found in all growth. In subordinate functions, man incorporates the vegetable and mineral kingdoms within his animal kingdom form. The growth of abnormality like disease or malignant decay is as regular and normal within its sphere as any other form of natural activity. From a cross-section of any stage and state of evolutionary process, the past may be known and the future predicted accurately. Bones are built into true plaster models of prehistoric beasts never seen by the restorers. The medical expert learns the outcome of a disease from a microscopic bit of germ culture. Diagnosis and all keen judgment are thus founded. Were it not for this cyclic and immutable regularity of natural law, man's lot upon the globe would be hopeless, while creation would be chaotic. The occult scientist progresses beyond his associates in the physical realm by his insistence upon the extension of objective law for the understanding of subjective phenomena. The botanist in the seed of the lotus sees the plant to be, while the occultist in the vague gropings of the human mind sees the world to come and so recognizes in potential fact the new heaven and earth of inspired prophecy. The scholar in metaphysical philosophy well knows that anything which the imaginations of man can visualize, man himself can achieve. Recapitulation in activity is recognized by physical science. This recognition has resulted in methods of education and crime detection without the slightest lay realization that the tendency of a certain type of mind or bodily makeup towards a definite course of action and reaction is purest astrology and occultism. Recapitulation in form or reduplication is equally recognized through hereditary or eugenics and in breeding of animals and botanical culture. The occultist only progresses beyond this conventional acceptance in taking his thoroughly logical step forward. The intelligent ego or being around and upon which all life and activity center must itself be subject to these same laws of cycle. Consciousness recapitulates in activity, and so human growth is achieved in noticeable waves of interest that, with the masses, shift from objective to objective. Here, mundane astrology has its day by identifying these movements in the thoughts of man with the periods of the great planets. The sudden inventive wave, the higher criticism and metaphysically speculative years, the general fad and cult prominence, the strenuous age, the day of the efficiency man, the flapper jazz period, are all charted as easily by the astrologer as the more tangible phenomena of the mineral and vegetable kingdoms are classified by the physical scientist. Rebirth of the human conscious principle is a fear-inspiring stumbling block to the modern mind. Yet perennials do not disturb the botanist, though the tulip returns with its shape and color in response to the same natural law which rules consciousness. The language of the street recognizes a sort of reincarnation since it terms a man a Nero, a Napoleon, or some lesser neighborhood character. That the individual cannot recollect prior experiences is no case in point. 
the tulip remembers nothing, while man himself can recall only scattered incidents of his early years, and those hazily and inaccurately. Memory is a matter of mental development. A broad general public belief in reincarnation is unimportant to occult philosophy. All activity, substance, and form thus first approach understanding through the time perspectives which are achieved by domain or sphere of substance and by cycle or repetition in activity and by repudiation in form. The restrictions upon public instruction in higher metaphysics by all occult teachers of authority are not a matter of monopoly of truth, since no earnest student has ever been denied, and Pythagoras, who was quite a flighty Greek, was able to obtain entrance to the high temple of the very particular Egyptian hierarchy at a time when the mysteries were about to be sealed in preparation for a new cycle. Rather, it is recognition of the long and very difficult special training necessary for the layman who seeks knowledge, widely removed both from his experience and from the ability for useful employment of it in human society. Only the charlatan tantalizes the general mass with fascinating half-truths far beyond untrained comprehension. The Warp Thread in Point of View Knowledge is wholly a matter of perspective. The esotericism claimed by many misguided devotees of mystic philosophy does not exist. The relationship which inheres through all things puts into the hands of any seeker a path to understanding that cannot be closed to him, even did higher intelligences so will. The human brain must be trained to receive any sort of specialized knowledge, whether metaphysical or otherwise. In the terms of occult philosophy, this mental development is enlargement of consciousness, or a broadening to include in point of view greater domains or wider and deeper cycles. The path to illumination is an organization of this process. The method is used by modern science and was employed in the ancient mysteries. The investigator, through attenuation or disassociation, merely separates some simple fact or process thoroughly known to him, and then builds upon it. Errors of understanding in modern gnosis come from reassociation and from carelessness in the definition of terms, but never from the starting point taken. Too frequently a student seeks to grasp whole a matter which fills the mind of God. The seeker who has no time for small and petty matters fails to remember that the most perfect representation of the universe is that basic tiny atom upon which all substance and being are built. A watch requires more skillful workmanship than a clock, and a miniature greater physical skill with brush and pigment than a full-size portrait. A perspective, point of view, or starting place is necessary for all analysis. In occultism, the cycles or arcs of perspective are taken one by one through the various domains, whenever and wherever a cross-section of observation may be obtained. The keys to knowledge used by the occultist are based upon this principle. Not only does direct investigation and observation contribute to occult knowledge of time, but all the tabulated facts and demonstrations of geology, history, zoology, embryology, botany, and allied sciences of growth and succession prove and disprove the occult hypothesis. The thread of perspective must be seen as the warp through the weft of the fabric of knowledge. 
This process is served in the analysis of duration by the key truth that time is illusion. Number as a depository of knowledge. The Pythagorean numerical basis of wisdom possesses an odd attraction to occult students and has been the foundation of arcane teaching through many centuries. Similarly, the seven rays of cosmic emanation and the eight active schools of divine wisdom lend fascination to modern metaphysical research. The metaphysical numbers are the fundamental types of cosmic expression. The seven divine rays, with the one that never emanates, provide the eight schools which are manifest. These are not organizations, but are a classification of the human approaches to understanding. The schools correlate to the numbers. The first number is no number. It is the Pythagorean cipher, zero or uded. Here is the annihilative principle in nature, or a fundamental reversion underlying all creation. Undifferentiated cosmic substance is that chaos which is known only through time or the eternity of faith and of conventional philosophy. As substance, it has no being, form, or activity. But because it is the repository of all things and the invisible space-filling ocean from which all sprang and to which all will return, it is that eternal duration out of which any time measure, however vast, is but an impermanent subdivision. The first school is the absolute, or the non-technical faith-born identification of all things in that inclusive reality which has no identity. It is the conquest of difficulty by transcendence, and is the practical use and application in daily affairs of the principles which are founded in time perspective. It denies the limitation of duration and so of space or condition. For the modern world, the prophet is Mary Baker G. Eddy. It is to Christian science and its founder that America most owes the present widespread toleration of a divine concept, which was startling and revolutionary to the lay mind in the 1890s. She spoke splendidly for that which a scientific occultism conveniently classifies as the philosophy of the Udad, or first school. The eight prophets represent no attempt to set up an occult hall of fame. Many of the most valuable workers and pioneers are slighted, as here in the instance of Emerson and Quimby. A prophet, in the literal meaning of the word, is one who speaks for another, and the result desired through this arbitrary selection is the identification of the individual in each case, who most closely interprets the genius of his particular school to the largest and widest audience. The matter of the sources and the motives of Mrs. Eddy does not enter into the consideration. Neither is the occult philosopher concerned with her methods or with any possible superior excellence of other earlier or later expressions in the teaching of the Udad. If you'd like to hear more, just search Audible or iTunes for the audiobook or Amazon for the Kindle and print editions. I'll put links in the episode description. And again, please follow, subscribe, give five stars, or let me know in any way that you enjoyed your trip. See you next time.